1 Corinthians 8.8, the Apostle Paul says, Food will not commend us to God. We neither lack if we do not eat, nor abound if we do eat. So you're not a better person whether you partake or abstain when we understand the text. This is When We Understand the Text, a daily study of God's Word that we may be filled with the knowledge of His will. For questions and comments, send us an email to whenweunderstandthetext at gmail.com. Here's your teacher, Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky. Picking up today in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And if we finish chapter 8 today, this will be the fastest we've been through a chapter so far in our study of 1 Corinthians. (laughs) So I'm going to start reading in verse 4. We'll go through verse 13. Out of the Legacy Standard Bible, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We neither lack if we do not eat, nor abound if we do eat. But see to it that this authority of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be built up to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And in that way, by sinning against the brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, If food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, ever, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now, I'm only just noticing that uh, I skipped verse 5 yesterday. We looked at verses 4 through 6. I read verse 4, and I skipped 5 and went right into resolving it in verse 6. But 5 is a, a pretty easy explanation I hope you don't feel gypped. (laughs) Verse 5 says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. So Paul is acknowledging that there are many different deities, little d, right? Many so-called gods that are worshipped by pagans. There could be a god in anything and everything. I remember a friend of mine was doing some missionary work in Nepal. And he was saying that of the people that he encountered there in Nepal, they thought there were gods in everything. That blade of grass has a god. There's another god in this other blade of grass. That rock over there has a god. So it's like everything would have its own god. So that's kind of what Paul is referring to here. Pagans will worship anything and everything. So there are many so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth. He's not saying that there are spiritual forces that exist in heaven and on earth. That's not what he's alluding to. He's saying that there's gods in the heavens that the pagans worship. 
sun, moon, and stars, clouds, you know, whatever else. And then there's stuff on earth that they worship as well, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. That's all that's being said there. Some will uh, will read into that verse too deeply, and, and others have taken it to mean, well, there are spiritual forces in these places that are manipulating things, many gods and many lords, but there's only one God, capital G. And that's, that's not what Paul is saying. It's, he's saying that pagans worship stuff all over the place. So there's many gods, but they're not real. They're just as empty as the idols that Paul had been describing in the previous verse, in verse 4. So he's not saying that an idol is nothing, but there's gods all over the place. He's saying that these so-called gods are just as much nothing as the idols that people worship. Yet for us, there is one God, the one true and living God, as he gets to in verse 6, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, however, not all men have this knowledge. Now, that can be a little confusing, too. Because he's obviously talking about believers there. Not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So the ones that he's referring to as as not having the knowledge, he's saying that there are some, even like baby Christians, immature Christians, who are not aware and do not know that an idol is nothing. And that these many gods and lords that are out there that pagans worship, that they're nothing to. There's nothing to the, these false gods that they worship. But not everybody has that knowledge. Not every Christian is mature enough to understand that there's nothing to an idol. And they do think that because that meat has been sacrificed to an idol or a false god, that it's therefore been defiled by that false god, as if there was something to the false god that could cause the meat, the food, to be defiled. Like some sort of spiritual thing has entered into that food and made it an abomination for a Christian to partake in it in any way. And so therefore, if I eat that food, I have defiled myself because it's as if they think there's something in the idol or in the false god that has therefore entered the food and when it enters my body, it defiles me. Okay, that's what's going on here. Not everybody has the knowledge to understand. Not everybody is mature enough in their knowledge to recognize that an idol is nothing. But some being accustomed to the idol until now, because we know there were many idol worshipers in Corinth who heard the gospel and repented of their idolatry and came to faith in Jesus Christ. I go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, idol worshipers, right? And that's connected with the sexual immorality here because that was very common in Corinth. Paganism was connected with sexual immorality. So neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, idol worshipers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And now verse 11, and such were some of you. There were those that were sitting there in the church in Corinth who had previously been idolaters. As a matter of fact, the vast majority, if not all of them had been that (laughs) they were idol worshipers before they heard the gospel 
and repented of their idolatry and came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there were some among them who were former Jews, so they probably were not idol worshipers in the sense of bowing down to false gods. They probably were not that. They didn't believe the truth as they did not know the Messiah. They had not yet come to know Jesus Christ, but they had not been idol worshipers. But the vast majority of them, especially the pagans and Gentiles who had repented of that and come to faith in Jesus Christ, they were previously idolaters, but they have been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So there were some among them who had previously been idol worshipers and not yet coming to an understanding that an idol is an empty thing. They become accustomed to the idol until now. And they eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So they think that there actually is something tainted Something rotten about that meat in a spiritual sense. And now that I've eaten it, I've defiled my own spirit with that food that had previously uh, previously been sacrificed to an idol. Verse eight, but food will not commend us to God. We neither lack if we do not eat nor abound if we do eat. So this is Paul saying that if you eat the food, you've not defiled yourself before God. And if you don't eat the food, you've not become someone better before God. Okay, so eating food does not make us better or worse before God. Abstaining from food does not make us better or worse before God. Now, let's understand plainly that uh, that Christ has declared all foods clean, as said in Mark chapter seven, as given to Peter in Acts chapter 10, and Paul talks about it in several places. There is no food that is defiled. You can eat anything. In fact, God even said to Noah, this is before we get to the dietary laws in the book of Leviticus, after the flood and Noah sacrificed unto the Lord, God said to Noah, I give you every animal for food. So there was even a time before the law of Moses when those who were descended of Noah and the line of Shem and on down the line, even even through Abraham, there were many who were eating whatever they wanted to eat and they did not defile themselves before God. The dietary laws were a matter of ceremonial cleanliness and Christ who has fulfilled all the law and the prophets has declared all foods clean. So there is no food that is unclean to us. You can eat it and it does not defile you before God. Or you can choose to not eat it. That doesn't even really make you any better before God because food does not commend us to God. We neither lack if we do not eat nor abound if we do eat. That's what Paul is saying here. So this is being read in the presence of the whole church there in Corinth. He's saying to the Corinthians, you can eat whatever you want, but understand that not everybody in Corinth was fully convinced that the word that Paul gave was a word from Christ. Because as we get to the next letter, as we get to 2 Corinthians, there are some who Paul uh, sarcastically refers to as super apostles who call themselves of greater authority than Paul, or they're, they're better apostles than Paul is. They come with a greater word than even Peter or Apollos. And so Paul, you know, kind of sarcastically refers to them as super apostles. And I'm nothing compared to these guys. If you want to go off and listen to them. So because there were people in Corinth that were not fully convinced that the word that Paul had was a word from Christ, even though this letter is being read in their midst and they're hearing that all foods are clean. 
Not everybody's going to be convinced of that. So even after this letter being read in their midst, there are still going to be many who are going to be convinced that food that has been sacrificed to idols is unclean and therefore I'm not going to eat it. I mean, there's people that I've attended church with in the past that believe in the dietary laws that they're still in effect. I can't eat pork because I'll defile myself before God. So they don't eat pork. They don't eat bacon. They don't eat sausage. Poor guys. I mean, they're really missing out, (laughs) but they're fully convinced that if they eat that meat, they defile themselves before God, even though the Bible explicitly says that Christ has declared all foods clean. And even Peter was commanded to get up and kill and eat. And he's not defiling himself by eating foods that were typically known among the pagans to be consumed, but not among the Jews. So even though, you know, even Christians today, there are some that believe that some foods will actually defile them. Well, I'm not going to eat those foods in their presence if that's the way that they believe. I'm not going to cause them to stumble in that way. Even though you have those statements in the Bible that God has declared all foods clean, there are still people that believe certain foods are defiled. They're weak in conscience. Paul calls them weak in conscience. But we should not lord ourselves over them because we know they're weak in conscience. I'm better than you are. I'm more mature. Look at what I can eat because I'm not defiling my conscience, right? We cause a brother or sister to stumble and we cause them to sin before Christ. Paul says, it would be better for me to not even eat meat again than to cause my brother or sister to stumble. So we must be compassionate and considerate toward one another when we consider these things. Food will not commit us to God. We neither lack if we do not eat, nor abound if we do eat. You're not a better Christian because you think that you can eat whatever you want, nor are they better Christians because they abstain from certain foods. Verse 9, but see to it that this authority of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And you can hear in that statement how that would apply to either camp. Whether you think you're better because you don't eat or you think you're better because you do eat, whatever authority you think you have as given by God, by the Holy Spirit that lives within you, don't use this authority of yours to become a stumbling block to those who don't see this issue the same way that you do. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be built up to eat things sacrificed to idols? So in other words, he sees you eating stuff sacrificed to idols and he thinks to himself, well, then I can do it too. He's not yet convinced in his mind that an idol is an empty thing or that there's no other God but the one true God, that there's other gods like This immature Christian might actually think that there are other gods out there. Not that he's polytheist because he worships the one true and only God, but he still thinks there might be other entities out there. I'm just not going to worship those entities. I'm going to worship the true God. I'm going to worship Christ. I've met Christians that think this way. They probably think that the, the other deities that are out there are demonic forces, but they do believe that. You know, there's there's other kinds of gods, other kinds of spirits and entities. We as Christians, though, we're to worship the one true God and, and no other God can compete with the true God. God in his mercy and grace appears to still receive such persons, even though they're wrong about how they think about the spiritual forces. So there may be those those among the church there in Corinth who 
Well, they're they're convinced. They see you eating food that has been sacrificed to false gods, so therefore I can eat it too. But they're they're not yet fully convinced that that idol is an empty thing and that there really is no other God but the one true God. So their conscience is weak, is built up to eat things sacrificed to idols. So then they go eat the food and then recognize, I've just eaten food that was sacrificed to a false god. I've eaten food that the false god has entered or that false spirit is it has entered that food, which has now entered my body and now I'm defiled. Now I've done something pagan. And there may be people that would even fall into despair over that. Well, there it is. I've... I've lost my faith. God's going to strike me down now because I've done something that I did in my in my former depravity. Am I really saved now because I'm going after the stuff that I went after before I became a Christian and their conscience is weak is, and, and is defiled and all of this, you know, this domino effect that could happen because of the person who's weak in conscience. Now, Paul does not celebrate the weak conscience. Nor would he even allow a person to remain weak in conscience. We all must grow up in our faith. He's been telling the Corinthians that over the course of this letter. That you can't stay in your immaturity. I had to address you as infants in faith because you are not yet ready to receive deeper spiritual truths. You need to grow up. And later on, he's going to get to this in chapter 13 when he says, When I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. I behaved like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. So Paul had to grow up in his faith. You need to grow up in yours. You can't continue as a child in the faith. So Paul here is not celebrating the weak conscience. He's not saying that a person with a weak conscience should continue to have a weak conscience. But while they are in that state of immaturity, while they don't yet know, don't become a stumbling block to them. That would even cause them to fall into a place where they despair their faith. They, they think it's impossible now to maintain this faith. There's nothing that I can do to be a Christian and be good in the eyes of God. And so they just abandon it altogether. Don't put a person in that position. Be kind and considerate and merciful toward them. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. Verse 11. Now in verse 12, and in that way, by sinning against the brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. If you sin against your brothers, you cause your brother to stumble. It's the same as if you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, ever, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now that seems pretty extreme, but it demonstrates the lengths that Paul is willing to go to for the benefit of his brother or sister in Christ. And so we should be willing to do the same. We should be willing to give up whatever we need to give up for the sake of a brother or sister in the Lord. Now, having said that, I have heard these passages used to bully Christians into taking the COVID vaccine. And that a person who is not vaccinated should want to get vaccinated for the sake of their brother or sister's conscience. Their brother or sister is weak. They think that you're sinning by not getting the vaccine. So you should get the vaccine to not cause your brother or sister to stumble. But that's actually the opposite of the principle that Paul is laying down here in 1 Corinthians 8. He's saying, I would abstain from putting something in my body 
so not to cause my brother or sister to stumble. He's talking about abstinence here. He's not talking about participation. There's nothing in 1 Corinthians 8 that says, hey, for the sake of your brother or sister's conscience, go into those pagan temples and eat up. That's never the instruction, but rather that we would abstain from it so that we not cause a brother or sister to stumble. So those who are trying to bully fellow Christians into getting the vaccine and using chapter eight in order to do that are are actually twisting this scripture. They're not using it in a proper way. This is a matter of opinion when it comes to the covid vaccine, when it comes to wearing masks, whatever it might happen to be. These are opinions. And as Paul said in Romans chapter 14, that we need to not quarrel over opinions, but welcome one another. If you're convinced that you need to get the vaccine, then get it. But if you're convinced that you should not get the vaccine, then don't get it. And that person is going to have to stand before God one way or the other. They're accountable before the Lord. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 14, where he talks there also about food that is clean and food that is unclean. So in any of these things, no matter what, whether it comes to how we feel about masks, how we feel about vaccinations, how we feel about foods, how we feel about certain clothing, how we feel about TV shows we watch, movies, music we listen to. There's a lot of different things that you could fit into this category of food sacrifice to idols. May we commend ourselves before the Lord. May we do all things for his glory and his honor. For as Paul is going to finish up this section saying when he get when we get to the end of chapter 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And let us consider one another's hearts in the midst of this as well and be an encouragement to each other, not quarreling over these things, not finding a way to better our brother and sister in the best argument that we can come up with. But we are mindful and considerate of one another and building each other up in the Lord according to his word, holding fast to the promises of Christ, who is going to deliver us from these mortal bodies in which we have these discussions about the mortality in which we exist. And he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. It says in Philippians chapter three, let us commend ourselves to Christ. Let us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things we need in this body will be added to us as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for this good word that we have been given. And I pray that we know how to apply it in a proper way and in a right context, in a way that is worshipful unto the Lord and is considerate of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to When We Understand the Text with Pastor Gabe Hughes. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Gabe will be going through a New Testament study. Then on Thursday, we look at an Old Testament book. On Friday, we take questions from the listeners and viewers. Tomorrow, we'll pick up on an Old Testament study when we understand the text.